Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 424 is recorded live October 24th, 2019. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where I do believe there's been some frost on the pumpkin. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you, and I'm staying dry and out of the wind. I, I could use just a little bit more frost because I'd like to be guaranteed the mosquitoes have been killed, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's getting there. I was going to say, I don't recall uh, having any frost this way. Oh, you're the city dwellers. Uh, That's know, what I meant. You're out yeah. by me. <laughs> we, we, we get a little bit, uh, uh, you know, the, when you turn the wipers on the truck, that, since I don't have a garage, it, uh, it's a little bit of a crustiness on them. Uh, oh. And it's happened about three or four times in the last uh, two weeks. So you've had uh, frost on the pumpkins. Yep. I would say so. I I don't particularly have any pumpkins, but if I did, I'm sure there'd have been some frost there. I'd be glad to see that because having football games at 5:30 on Friday night is a little early. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, the time change. That we should just get rid of it. I, it just messes me all up. Well, we got quite a few in the chat room. I mean, just to go down the list, we have Brandon, Derek. Eric, Karen, and Carol. So, uh, Krill. But, uh, Krill? Is that, is that, is that how you pronounce it? That's what it looks like. K-R-I-L-L. Oh, is that Krill? Okay. So a good group in there. And, uh, show notes have gone out to the, our Patreon supporters. And I have to apologize to everybody. I have a full bucket or drive full of episodes i'm in middle of editing and everything has been so crazy at work and at home that i just haven't gotten them out so they'll be coming out like a shotgun speed once i get to it because it does once once i get into it it doesn't take long but oh it just things have been not working in my favor recently Uh, but let's go ahead and jump right on into the news the first couple articles are from undercurrent magazine undercurrent.org and it says no abalone diving in California, at least until 2021. They said it's more bad news for the alabony divers. Already having missed a whole season of 2018, they won't be able to do it again for at least two more years. The California Fish and Game Commission decided to keep the state's recreational abalone fish fishery closed through April 2021 to give the shellfish population a chance to bounce back. They based on the decision on low-density surveys from key sites along the north coast. This season is usually open from April to November for recreational diving north of San Francisco, but has been limited in recent years and was closed completely last year. The trouble really began in the El Nino in 2014 through 16, which sparked extreme environmental conditions in the coastal environments. 
massive kelp die-off, and exploding numbers of purple sea urchins, which compete with abalone to eat the bulk kelp, left the slow-growing sea snails starving and not reproducing. Last year, CFGC changed the rules to allow recreational divers to take up to 20 gallons of purple sea urchins a day from the waters off Sonoma and Medicino counties to see if it would help the recovery of the bull kelp and abalone. In one case, experienced divers used vacuum devices to suck the creatures from the ocean floor. A group of avid abalone divers has generally expressed support for the continued closure, but some have asked that a small number be allowed to fish to continue collecting data and to keep the sport alive. Lifelong abalone diver Steve Reebok of St. Louis, was it Ospio? I'm not familiar with that town. Criticized the CFGC for not taking more action sooner, like when the abalone density surveys indicated the population was dropping in 2012, partially due to the algae bloom that killed a lot of them the year before. It was unclear that it was a problem, Oh, he said it was clear it was a problem, Rebook told the San Francisco Chronicle. Department really didn't address any, the department didn't really address it correctly, in my opinion. They wanted to keep the fishery open. Abalone were once so abundant, San Francisco plucked them from the tide pools and cooked them on the beach. Overfishing caused the state to stop commercial fishing in 1997 and allow only recreational fishing of shellfish and only north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Red, red abalone is the only species that can be fished now. Abalone divers have been commiserating on Facebook groups called the Continued Closure of the Wild Fishery. Sebastopol Diver recently posted, I am just an old abalone diver who's dream of getting some more abs before I die. Who knows when or if it will ever happen, as it's probably safe to say that Northern California abalone populations will never be as abundant as they once were. And then here's one farewell to a top treasure hunter, liked by some, loathed by others. Swashbuckling, swashbuckler Bob Marks courted controversy through his long diving career, combining both treasure hunting and maritime archaeology, a sometimes abrasive character. Marks had a resume that read like Indiana Jones and claimed discoveries of thousands of wrecks more than 60 countries. He's best known for excavating the sunken city of Port Royal in Jamaica. His 1972 discovery, the 17th century Nestra Senora de las Merivales, the second richest Spanish galleon lost in the Americas, got him thrown out of the Bahamas for accusing its then Prime Minister, Lyndon Pindling, on television of criminal activity, including corruption, taking bribes from drug traffickers. In fact, one of Marx's crew was reported to have stolen two bags of silver coins worth $30,000 off the vessel, but according to Marx, it was investigated by the police. He was absolved of any blame. However, he ran to a problem with a rival gang of salvagers and was arrested in suspicion of marijuana smuggling by the U.S. Coast Guard. The Bahamas then demanded the return of the treasure recovered from the vessel. An American international incident ensued when Marx refused under advice from the American embassy. When the Bahamas threatened to remove access to missile tracking and military bases in the island, the U.S. US government backed down withdrew its backing of Marx. Meanwhile, other wrecked salvage teams were given free reign to excavate the vessel, but Marx never revealed the location of the main section of the wreckage he discovered, but had yet to start work on. Over in Indonesia, the government had long sought the wreck of the Portuguese 400-ton galleon Flor de Mar, 
when they called Marks in 1992, he located it within three days and more than 100 miles away from the ongoing search area. Mark was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He started what was probably USA's first diving club with fellow treasure hunter Mel Fisher in Los Angeles and also claimed to have started the world's first resort, dive resort in Cozumel. After a decade of living in Spain, he scoured the Spanish treasure fleet's archives and wrote more than 60 books. He returned to live in the U.S. where he eventually died at his home in Melbourne, Florida. This past 4th of July, he was 85. He was a character the same as Mel Fisher. Birds of a feather. Yeah. Well, and they kind of hung together, too, there. Yeah. Uh, but not from the art arm. Yeah. <laughs> I bet he didn't like bureaucracies, either. No, he did not. Seems to be a common theme with people who find stuff in the world. Well, he was a commercial archaeologist. He believed in selling the stuff so he could go do more. Yeah. Well, and it, it uh, probably the philosophy is if if it's sitting down there, nobody can see it. What good is it doing to anybody? Yep, and more people will see it in your in your room than will see it in the museum because they'll have it in the basement. But that's yeah. just my opinion. Well, then this uh, next article is kind of a follow-up. It's the Ghost Fleet, and we won't read the whole thing, so we'll have the links in the show notes. Um, and I think we – didn't we cover this, Mac, or we had shown the we photos covered, of it? We, yeah, we did. Uh, it's quite interesting, though, because the Mallows Bay area is what they consider the largest collection of shipwrecks in the world. You know, it's, in the, it's basically the Potomac, Potomac River you know, south of, yeah. of Washington itself. And all those oblong shapes are the ghost ships, the ghost fleet. Yeah, so it's all vessels, some of them that saw service, some of them that didn't. And uh, they're they're parked there, and they just uh, basically disintegrated and sank right where they were at. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. A lot of the photos they're showing you even here are better items of junk. <laughs> or rusted or rotting timbers than we find whenever they say, Oh my God, look at that shipwreck out there in the, in the sand. It's in Lake Michigan. Yeah. Pristine. Beach. You look at these and this is tons more wreckage, but it's considered still, they're not preserving it. We'll let nature take its course. Pictures are pretty I, I nice it, though. Yeah. The, the art of the photography is amazing. I mean, I, it just, the. Uh, you know, nature kind of reclaiming these uh, man-made shapes in the water is uh, there's a certain beauty to it. Yeah. And then, what did this become a preserve? Now, is that what they're saying? It finally got its. Uh, uh, well, yeah, the, the it's a new the Mallows yeah. Bay is a. It, they, it said the marine sanctuary. Yep, you got it. Marine sanctuary. So and that so that puts it right on equal footing with California's Monterey Bay, Michigan's Thunder Bay, and the Florida Keys. Right. The key way to enjoy this one is not by scuba diving, though. It's generally by canoe or kayak, and more, a lot of people are just taking pictures of it for the unusual waterscape that the shipwrecks have created. And I think now with drones becoming so popular, it's really brought attention to this because anybody with a drone, which you can get for not too much money, you can get some very nice aerial photos. 
Yeah, a lot of the places where they've got abandoned ships, people are using the drones to actually do that investigative aspect to it, which I think is quite interesting because otherwise you never get to see them. No. And and it kind of gives you the idea of the scale. So here's one where they've got uh, somebody in a lime green kayak floating there, and then you just they're just dwarfed by these uh, sunken vessels. Yeah. I'm looking at this one that almost looks like a plume ride. Uh, it does. Uh, they, where that must be where they, the kayaks come back into shore or, or the rental place. Well, let's see if I can get one here. I was going to copy one and put it over there. Put it in the chat room. You get yourself pronged oh, on that pretty good. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and uh, take a look at this next one. And it's this one's from Vogue magazine. Not too often that you uh, see a scuba diving article in Vogue, but it says, Why Scuba Diving Surprisingly Chill Method for Mindfulness. And uh, the, the, the first introduction is what I, you always see in these fancy magazines, which is a bunch of prose and fancy words. But uh, we'll get right down to it a few paragraphs in. And it says, once a short instructional, instructional video screen wrapped in wetsuits, oxygen tanks, and goggles were provided, I was pr- practicing inhaling and exhaling bottled oxygen with a local instructor in a resort's pool. An hour later, I was already dipping into the open ocean and watching colorful angelfish flit past blue sea stars attached to a coral below. What surprised me, though, is the absence of underwater anxiety I expected to feel mainly do the slow, steady breathing techniques that are, that are par for the course when scuba diving. I am not alone in experiencing this calm since the moment I started diving, my stress levels changed because I learned how to control my breathing under and above water, said Andy Fraser, who heads the dive center and even credits his certification for alleviating heart palpitations. He used to feel intense restaurant environment where he once worked. Now he notices how the technique he teaches have the ability to benefit daily life in all situations as students learn to stay calm in new environments. Plus, scuba is surprisingly inclusive physical activity that's accessible to people with varied levels of experience, body types, and abilities. People who have preconditions or preconceptions of how difficult scuba diving will be are almost always surprised how well they did. They emerge from the water extremely proud of themselves. In many cases, the relationship and perception of the ocean is changed for life. So, and it's a, they, they go on and on and talk about some of the things with uh, scuba diving. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's, it's a very relaxing and enjoyable activity. I like the picture of the uh, young lady going overboard. <laughs> At the top yeah. of the article. It's got to be warm. Well, one thing I noticed. Well, I noticed that she was wearing, was that a skin suit? And then she had shorts over the skin suit? Yeah. Yeah. Is, Any, I, anytime you I, can dive with, with no gloves, no hood, no booties, is a warm water dive. Yeah. Yeah, but I was just, just surprised for, you know, normally we don't wear clothes over our dive gear. So I was just thought of you know, why that was. 
But I still think it's always funny, oxygen tanks. And after inhaling and exhaling bottled oxygen, wonder what else was in that bottle. Well, writers, which is why I had to skip through about two-thirds of it, is uh, I think, you know, these people are uh, either frustrated poets or uh, they're they're buying time until they can write their first novel because they just go way overboard. And then this I thought was interesting. It's uh, covered out of NiagaraThisWeek.com. Blind scuba diver joins Fort Erie underwater recovery unit. When people find out Mark, was that Perlox, is both an accomplished scuba diver and completely blind, they tend to ask the same question. People always ask, what do you even get out of this? Or why do you do this? I always say, because it's awesome. Prolux is the newest member of the Fort Erie Underwater Recovery Unit. And on Saturday, the group headed out for its final dive session of the year. This Prolux's first official dive without an instructor. And hopefully I'm not slaughtering his name too bad. According to him, scuba diving, well, blind isn't all that dissimilar from what the experience of his fellow divers would cite. Sometimes they talk about low visibility while under there. I'm like, hello, guys, I've got your bat. I got your beat. Oh, I've got you beat. Uh, He gets a a lot of laughs talking about his vision. He's a bit of a clown. Also, literally, I'm actually Canada's only blind professional clown (laughs) heading over to business card complete with Braille for his day on job as a blind clown where he's been entertaining for more than 20 years. He doesn't find himself doing these unlikely activities by chance at least not according to his former teacher, Bruce uh, Thiel King from Fort Erie Underwater Recovery Unit. Mark has always been motivated by people telling him no. When someone tells him he probably shouldn't be doing something, he makes a point of doing it. Learning to scuba dive as a blind person had its challenges, first of which presented itself when he needed to find diving equipment that works without needing to see anything. Most important piece of diving equipment is the oxygen gauge. Ugh. The diver needs to know how much oxygen they have remaining in their tank. <laughs> Should we even comment on that? No. <laughs> you can't read it anyway. Yeah. He just, <laughs> without being able to read the vital information, he couldn't dive safely. Eventually, he found this thing showing a tube coming off the side with a modified oxygen tank. Uh, leading to a mechanical air gauge that moves the pin down across a series of notches to indicate how much is left in the tank. If the pin is up here, it means I got lots of air. If it's down there, it means zero. And while that means something has probably gone very wrong, so hopefully I never need to read that one. According to Proloxy, uh, tracking down all necessary equipment wasn't easy. The Braille oxygen gauge, for example, is only produced by one company in Sweden, and a single gauge costs about $900. Despite the significant barriers to entry, he's glad he took up scuba diving as a hobby and even happier he found the Fort Erie Underwater Recovery Unit. I've talked to a lot of people in different dive club. No one was really all that interested in having me, he said. No one welcomed me the way they did in Fort Erie. I feel truly blessed to have found them. They made me feel like part of the family right away. Well, at least you won't need a dive light. <laughs> yeah. Well, or he's he's got built-in redundancy that way. As many of them can fail, and he's he's it doesn't hurt him at all. I am glad that he has taken the advantage of that and doesn't let 
He's not shying away because it's obvious he is diving with a buddy. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the big item there. A buddy team and you're diving braille, more bottle hunting. As long as somebody's got an idea of where you're at, if you surface, which way shore is, you know, more power to him. Well, and he's showing a full face mask. So I wonder if they're also doing comms. Because he wouldn't be able to do, he wouldn't be able to, I mean, he could signal somebody, but he couldn't see somebody else's signal. Oh, I didn't see so a they would have face. to come. Um, oh, yeah, wait if you look in, Let me uh, hit the, yeah, yep, the, I got it. Top. Yep, I found the arrow. Yeah. So that that would make sense if he and somebody else is in a full face and they communicate back and forth and uh, that could be part of your redundancy. So if that way, if either of them had a problem, uh, they'd come to each other's aid. Yeah, comms would be nice. Yeah. But you think about for, like, uh, grubbing. I mean, <laughs> vision's overrated. <laughs> well, in the sand, but up against the shore with the trees, eh, not too much overrated. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'd want to get into the trees and bushes with, uh, with that as an issue. Now, is the fort Re- is the underwater recovery unit a club? Or is that actually a? Uh, it it doesn't uh, say public. from what I can see. Because I would be surprised. I mean, I'm not doubting his ability, but just my experience with with agencies. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm looking. There's a Facebook group called Fort Erie Underwater Recovery Unit. See if they've got any about information. Well, that goes spinning. Well, it said recovery and scuba club. Yeah. So it's a. It, so it's not like a public agency. It's uh, the name of the club. Well, no, it, it's that it is that also. It was uh, founded in uh, 1961 to facilitate recovery of persons and property lost in the area underwater. Okay. Also provide public with underwater search and rescue, and we do so on a voluntary basis. Okay. Well, that's that's fairly reasonable. Then. And it's open to all certified divers from recreational to technical. Okay. And they got an interesting building. Yeah, it says uh, drift diving in the upper Niagara's with food and facility from our clubhouse. We also offer air fills. So, gosh, sounds like a great. Oh, look at that building! You're not a kidding. Quite I'm interesting. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations, good job, guys. Yeah. That was a nice place there. Uh, and then uh, scuba divers clean up the lake of the Ozark Skinny Dipping Cove. All which, right, that's uh, one I want to have pictures of. Well, and if you're uh. Uh, a braille scuba diver, there could be some benefits there. Uh, it says, talk about using your powers for good. A group of local non-divers spent Sunday cleaning up quiet, but much love cove on the Lake of the Ozarks. Debris cleanup dive on October 20th began at 11 a.m. in what is known as Hidden Cove, Snake Cove, or Skinny Dipping Cove. Uh, because, of course, every cove in the Lake of Ozarks needs at least two names. The first name may shed light on the third one, Skinny Winding Cove sits upstream from Margaritaville, formerly Tantar A, and is probably undeveloped considering its placement in the popular area of the lake. 
around the 27-mile marker. Only the entrance of the cove is developed with strong townhomes and community docks on one side, but most of the cove is hidden from the main channel thanks to the way the wind back and forth. It also makes it a favorite for divers. Chris Heitman was a cleanup dive organizer, also happens to be the sheriff of Marist County. He worked with the lake residents, Chafe Sartin, to set up the event. Divers went down with nylon bags, typically used for onions in the grocery store, allowing them to easily bag the trash they found without battling non-porous bags underwater. And all 11 divers helped and five helpers attended, honoring their skills and honing their skills and bringing up 265 pounds of debris, mostly cans and bottles, but also an anchor from the bottom of the lake, which is about 24 feet max in that part of the cove. That's a, that's a nice uh, anchor there. Yeah. Uh, the dive served as more than just a chance in the lake. It also counts toward participants' master diver rating. Some of the participants had never dived in low-visibility water before. At depth, visibility is only about eight inches, Sartan said. There's also a knowledge development class before the dive that focused on what marine debris is, how to clean it up, and what to do so without causing more damage. Of course, there's an opportunity for scuba divers to have some fun, too. They all enjoyed lunch aboard the accompanying boat prepared by Sartan's wife. and. Because <laughs> that's it. And because good enough reason for lunch. I like that pontoon boat they have there. And I don't know, I mean, you might not be getting the same ad I am. Well, they had a different one that I saw. But yeah, little, uh, uh, looks like they're having a good time. I, yeah. I posted yeah. a picture of what I saw in, uh, in the cove. Those those listening in the chat room, uh, uh, the photos are in general, general, so you have to pop over there real quick to see. Yeah, you did see the key part up here. It talked about just to be sure to wear a bathing suit or wait until nightfall to skinny dip. With the abundance of major lakes and divers, you can never be too careful since everybody has GoPros. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the voice of experience. Yeah. He just happens to have twenty GoPros all anchored at the, around the around the lake. He's kind of. You saw the one article where they uh, recovered a bulldozer. <clears throat> I saw. I didn't read it, but I I did see that they had. Uh, well, I saw the bulldozer. It's like they must have had one hell of a lot of lift bags. Yeah. How do you find a bulldozer after it sinks in the lake? <laughs> With a magnet. Got a, a magnetometer would have gone off the scale. You probably wouldn't even have to get in the water. Or just drag a magnet. Yeah. So how did it? How did it sink? Did they say? No, it did not. That's what I was curious about. Also, I mean, it, it had to fall off a barge or. That's what I somebody, would have assumed also. Yeah, it fell off a barge or somebody just drove it in. Right, and then you re-rig uh, the, the, to be picked up with a crane to put on another barge. Yeah. And then uh, this next article comes uh, from ktvz.com. Scuba divers find a truck with remains in the Columbia River, uh, another type of braille dive you probably don't want to do. 
A truck and skeletal remains found in the Columbia River have been connected to a 26-year-old missing persons case from Washington State. Como TV reports a couple went scuba diving last week in uh, Motilla County, Oregon, reported they discovered a submerged Ford Ranger with Washington State license plates. Uh, the county sheriff's dispatch confirmed the truck was connected to a missing person case out of Prosser, Washington, from 26 years ago. The missing person was Maynard Cohen, born in 1911, reported missing in August 1993. So at the time, he was 82 years old. It took about two hours for crews to get the truck out of the water. The sheriff's office says they found skeletal remains and a driver's license issued to Cohen. The remains will be sent to the Oregon State Medical Examiner's Office for further identification. And that's all they wrote. Well, I posted the picture. The first item I note is they don't have any zebra quagga mussels. Otherwise, that vessel, that vehicle would be covered. Number two, it don't look too bad. That body looks in good shape. And if you when read you the comments, you mean, you mean the truck, the, body the of, truck, not the, the body of the, Yeah, yeah. The other one was not too good a shape. But they, the comments were quite interesting initially is, wow, that'd be interesting and challenging to try to get that truck running. What do you think? <laughs> what? Yeah, that's what, what are the comments? Well, because you know how valuable uh, Ford Rangers are. Well, the river hides lots of secrets. There's even an older one dating back yeah. 60 years. That's why I love the river, because you can never tell what you're going to find. Well, and you got to look. I mean, we dive in the river and how much we found, but there's spots of the river we've never even gotten to. Oh, yeah. We just hit certain parts. And when you start finding bottles... That's where we usually stay until we can't figure out where the bottles went. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but you don't have to go too far down or up. I mean, we've got our spots of the river, but, you know, in, you know, I would say Berrien County, the St. Joe River through Berrien County, we probably routinely cover less than 1%. Oh, definitely less than 1%. You're yeah. talking 206 the- miles of the St. Joe River. So, yeah, we're covering less than 1%. Yeah. Well, and, let me back up and, now. And we're the, That's two miles. We've covered two miles. Yeah. But we're not, but that that's us. I mean, yeah. and we're the ones in there. Other than that, you'd it'd have to be really clear in a kayaker or a fisherman, you know, but <laughs> the fishermen are going to be, hey, if, if fish are going around it, I'm not reporting it. Well, we do know the visibility in the river, other than when it rains like crazy and floods has improved over the last 30 years because that one right off of Merrimont is where they found that one car with the body that had been there for years and years and years. And though it was shallow, you know, it was more than four feet deep over the top of the car. That's where nobody hit it with their props until one day it had decent viz and someone said, there's a car top down there, you know? Yep. And then we got that Model T or whatever the heck it is off to the side. That's yep. in what four foot of water, buried. Mm-hmm. Got lots of stuff out there, and more to find. Yeah. Well, how about this find? Ancient ship graveyard holds a key to Noah's Ark mystery. Uh, and this one, I think Derek is the one who sent it to me. Uh, an eerie deep sea graveyard full of ancient shipwrecks holds the key to solving 
NOAA's ARC legend, scientists say, oceanographers discovered the Black Sea site off the coast of Nesabar in Bulgaria three years ago. At the seabed, they could prove if the most famous biblical passage about the calamitous flood that wiped out humanity thousands of years ago is true. Sixty ancient Greece vessels lay about 300 meters under the waves in a spot known as the dead zone. The wrecks have been immaculately preserved due to lack of oxygen that at depth timber structures remain intact. Even complex carvings are free of decay. The ships may hold the answer about the tale of Noah's Ark told in the Bible reports the BBC. According to some researchers, the devastating flood, which Bible says was created by God to punish man's sinful behavior began the Black Sea 7,600 years ago. The theory that about 20,000 years ago, the Black Sea was a freshwater lake cut off from the Mediterranean by a land bridge was put forward in the 2000 book Noah's Flood. Author William Ryan and Walter Pittman suggest a strip of land started, strip of land started to decay at the close of the last ice age. After melting polar ice caps triggered the rise of the Mediterranean Sea, the ensuing deluge deluge was 200 times more powerful than Niagara Falls. It resulted in the size of the Black Sea exploding and engulfing an area that land the size of Iceland with water. Now, underwater soil samples taken uh, near the site by researchers from the Black Sea Maritime Archaeology Project will help prove Noah's flood theory. They hope to discover whether waters flooded at a devastatingly rapid rate, as told in the Bible, or whether it was more gradual rise in sea level. We endeavor to answer some of the hotly debated questions about when water level rose. But look at some of those photos. Well, if the deluge was 200 times more powerful than the Niagara Falls, I would say that's a rapid rate of increase. Yes. Yeah, and it depends where you are when it happens. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're at the bottom of that said waterfall, then, yeah, that's a bad day. Yeah, this is a bad day. So that does it for Scuba News. I don't think I've got anything more. So I, I had quite a few more stories, but there was no way we're going to make through those in any reasonable amount of time. Well, are we hearing about anybody getting out in the water? Uh, no, have not really. Um, I know the big lake has been a a little bit turbulent, uh, to say the least. Yeah, so I think everybody's kind of taken a a little short hiatus of getting in the water. Yeah, since the buoys got pulled week four last, and the one off the Havana mysteriously appeared on shore. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be interesting to see what gave on the wreck. Uh, yeah. Was it physically pulled off, or was it the agitation of the the wave action that it break part of the structure of the crid that's containing all yeah. that iron? That's going to be quite interesting to see next year. Yeah, good uh, if you're a uh, you know a, a, a failure mode analysis type of person. Uh, that'd be interesting. My my pet theory is that we probably didn't have enough scope on the chain. Uh, so if you've got 10 foot waves and you don't have 10 foot of slack, then every, you know, the, the, the difference between the trough and the, the crest of the wave 
was probably mm-hmm. just beating the heck out of that crib. Yeah. And that's a, an unrelenting force that at some point something's going to give. Cause what it's got to do, if it can't rise to the uh, crest of the wave is that it has to get pulled down. So whatever the buoyancy of that is, you're doing, uh, you're drawing that in. So yeah. that without seeing anything and having any evidence, that's what my unprofessional theory is. So the question then is, what do you do? I mean, you, do you just do heavier chain? Uh, my approach, if that's indeed what the case was, would be just have a little bit more slack and probably, again, beef it up a bit. But you'll just have to see what broke. Right, because on the chain aspect, if you had a nice 15-foot long heavy chain, that acts as a damper, a shock absorber going yeah, up and does. down. Like I said, it'll be interesting, and uh, next year we'll find out. Yeah. So all sorts of fun. Keeps it interesting. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. You got a dive safety story for this week? Well, remember last week we talked about diving the truck lagoon with a minimal amount of of experience and taking your daughter and your son doing penetration dives when you're certified for 40 feet down to 120 yeah. penetrations. Uh-huh. Well, this one here is a little different. Uh, this is concerning DCS after a deep wreck night dive. A case of DCS after a diver was introduced. Uh, many new factors into the dive, deep dive, night dive, multitasking, unfamiliar buddies. Uh, from the aspect of the diver, it was a qualified open water, advanced open water diver, and reported the accident or incident that occurred during a recent dive to 148 feet. At the time of the dive, he had 230 log dives over three and a half years and two previous dives to 135 feet. He was tagging into a dive with two other divers who already had a dive plan made a week in advance. The 148-foot dive was to be the only dive of the night. He had dove with the buddy a few times, but this was his first time diving with buddy number two. They had dove the site many times and to 135 feet at the same spot, but under daylight. Visibility was generally good at the site. 25 to 50 foot is normal. Uh, this dive had visibility of 26 feet. Water temperature was in the 60s. And this was his deepest dive to date, and because of that, he planned his gas carefully. So he said he planned to have a steel tank, a 3,400 PSI tank on his back, aluminum 80 as his backup, 3,000 pounds on the gauge. So he talked about, I planned my gas consumption, my cylinder switches, always on a wrist slate, so I could see it if I started to fall short during the dive. I figured as this was my first night dive at the site and my deepest dive to date, I should not take my camera rig as I normally would on every dive. However, on dive day, the temptation of wrecks in the dark and good viz was too much, so I took the camera rig. Pre-dive planning was in the cafe at the dive site. It was agreed that the other two divers would go to a small cruiser boat wreck in 154 feet. If I was not comfortable, I would hang in 141 to 148 feet. 
total dive time was estimated to be one hour and eight minutes. Around one minute at 154 feet, or at one minute, we would swim around, ascend to the next wreck, a helicopter at 79 feet, and then make our way up a little shallower to another wreck at 66 feet. And then finally shallowing up to make the safety stop and around 10 minutes of deco by the quarry wall. This would also be his first deco dive. The dive started well with a short three-minute swim at 50 feet, over the edge descending to 154 feet, reaching 154 uh, feet within six minutes. He said, I went and placed my hand on top of the cruiser boat, took a few photos. I suddenly felt a numbness and tingling in my lips, then tunnel vision closing in. I'd never had narcosis on a dive, but recognized it immediately. I knew this could be a very dangerous situation and needed to act fast. I had an urge to reduce depth quickly to make the narcosis go away. However, I went up too quick. I went up past the deep stop of 77 feet. I stopped. I ditched my air as fast as I could to prevent a runaway ascent, then became negative, dropped down to 114 feet. At this point, I was still narked with an elevated heart rate. Also, I was aware I was using my air quite fast, and I didn't want to accidentally get into a fast ascent. For security backup, ascent, and air, I grabbed and held until my buddy won number one's BCD. I had spotted him when I descended back down so we could ascend together. At this point, my torch went flat, the sight being fully charged the night before. I didn't try to get get out my backup as one of my video lights on my camera rig was on, so I used this until the situation was stabilized. I was aware I needed to switch cylinders so that I still had backup on my back cylinder. If I had my equipment failure, I'd still have air. Under the stress of the situation, I still managed to check my pressure gauge, check that my regulator was working, and then made the switch. What I did not know was that although I was monitoring my ascent rate and my position, Buddy One was uh, compensating buoyancy for us both. When we ascended too far past 33 feet, I released Buddy One so I could drop back to a safer depth. This meant Buddy One had enough air for himself and some of my buoyancy, so he went up in an uncontrolled ascent for the last 30 feet, broke the surface. This meant he went from 154 feet to the surface in four minutes with a decompression obligation. He immediately descended back to me and Buddy 2 at 80 feet. Now, if that's not enough, I'll settle down and arrived at the helicopter, Rec 2 of the original dive plan. At this point, all was calm and okay. I checked my pressure, had 1,500 PSI remaining, had a little de- decompression obligation of about eight minutes. My 80 had plenty of air, as if I, you know, because I'd only used it for a few minutes. We were now at 16 minutes into the dive. I was fine and calm now, was able to dive fine, took photos of the other two at the wrecks. The dive continued to the airline fuselage, also at 80 feet. We swam through it. My deco obligation has increased to 10 minutes. I switched back to the larger tank 30 minutes in as we began to ascend. We ascended midwater in the dark with only the computer as reference. We had used more air than planned, so we could not make it as far as the quarry wall 
before we had to ascend for the deco stop. I carried out my 10 minutes of my mandatory stop. My computer then switched to an eight-minute operational stop, op, optional stop. At this point, the large tank was down to 450 pounds. So I switched to the 80 cubic, remaining on it until the end of the dive, maintaining a depth of 10 feet and 20 feet for 17 minutes, and I don't know in what order. In the dark, midwater was very tricky. I went up to 10 feet once, dropped back down to 18. I was doing a lot of finning and up and down and adding and dumping air, and it was difficult to maintain the depth with floaty cylinders. At the end of the dive of 53 minutes, I surfaced with 435 pounds in my steel and 300 in my 80, with all deco on my dive computer cleared. Although the dive was out of plan for a lot of the dive, I did monitor my gas, my depth, and notice when to switch. I noticed when I was narked and needed to shallow up and recognize and control fast ascents. Total dive was 53 minutes. The dive resulted in slight joint aches noticed on my journey home. I called the dive chamber at midnight when I arrived home. They asked me to come in for treatment at 8 a.m. In, no in the morning. As it was mild symptoms, and immediate recompression was not required. So I went, and I was treated in the hyperbaric chamber with one extension, also two days later with an additional 40-minute hyperbaric treatment at 45 feet. This resolved the joint pain and slight balance issues, consistent with the mild CNS bent. There were no lasting symptoms. Buddy 1 and Buddy 2 had no symptoms. Now, this is the part I like. Upon reflection, there were just too many new factors in this dive. Diving past my qualification without training, making my deepest dive at night, making a challenging dive with new gear, new setup, and task loading with a camera and unfamiliar buddies. My only comment to that is, duh, what are your comments? Oh, my gosh. Uh, first failure First time you have a problem, that's it. You cut the dive. Why? Why they keep diving? I mean, it was just like a comedy of errors. Uh, they were freaking lucky. Yeah, because every time you continue on, you you get rid of some of the redundancy you built in. When he was first describing what he was doing, I was thinking, "Well, that that sounds safe." Uh, did maybe I missed it? But did he have training for deco diving, or is he self teaching himself? It did not really indicate if he had had that or had had done any. You know, he had talked about he'd got, what, a couple hundred dives in. He'd been diving three years. Yeah, he had 230 dives over three and a half years. And only two to 135 feet. And already he's diving past that. Yeah, so it just sounds like somebody who's, uh, I mean, to make an assumption that he had just kind yeah. of learned on his own well you know a lot of time we get a little careless because well it's a quarry dive so i don't have to worry about currents shore is not too far away and those factors should not play into it you know when you start diving at 150 feet that's incidental but i do look at the comedy of errors there and i think once i got narked I probably would have aborted the rest of the dive. Yeah. 
Well, and then he had you know the the buddy the buddies coming to the surface and then coming back down and uh, it's just wow yeah it's a whole lot of not good. I think I just saw somebody put a blurb. They were wrong before they started. Yeah. I wonder how much experience Buddy One and Buddy Two had. Well, I'm I'm guessing that part of hit that he was egged on. You know, again, reading into this, that uh, maybe his, uh, you know, he was osmosis training. You know, I'm I'm with people who say they know what they're doing. So now, if I do what they do, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I got two tanks of air. As long as I stay with those guys, I'm good. Mm Because they know what they're doing, and they'll make sure I don't blah, blah, blah. Yeah, as soon as you took the camera, task loading, we all have done something similar, but hopefully not to 150 foot. That's like doing your first unisuit dive in the ice at 12 o'clock midnight. (laughs) With no bailout. That doesn't happen, does it? <laughs> we won't go there. Yeah. But we're talking 40 years ago. A long time ago. Wow. I just say I think he's darn lucky. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. So if we can learn from their mistakes, then hopefully we don't repeat them. Yeah, because it sounds like Buddy 1 and Buddy 2 did fine. Uh, I... But it didn't seem like they were watching him very well. No. Well, and then when, you know, one of the buddies went to the surface right away, then back down. Oh, yeah. That didn't give me a warm fuzzy either. No. And yeah, then he, again, he, it had to be pretty serious if he went for treatment and then two days later went for another treatment. Yeah, the, the chat room saying they started with the salute, here, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, watch me. Yeah. Yeah, and then and Karen points out uh, that in her experience, she's seen that uh, professionally. Uh, overconfidence kills. So. Well, it's like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Talk uh, is when you see somebody who's doing some new stuff and he's really obviously agitated, or the person's agitated, yeah. then you need to be working with him because you should be diving to the lowest extent of your partner. Mm-hmm. You know. Like Karen says, you know, did her first dry suit check out in the pool? Yeah. Oh, that that's a smart way to do it. Oh, by the way, I just, as we're talking about this, as familiarization, time to dive, uh, I was talking with Jim the other day. They're going to try to have another uh, intro to scuba. Oh, yeah. And whether they do or do not, uh, I'm going to put towards the club. I'll I'll pay for the time. But uh, we were thinking about having a... uh, party time for the anybody any diver wants to come up where we're going to yeah. put hula hoops at different levels in the deep sure. and your job is to swim through them adjusting your buoyancy without getting your fins caught and if you haven't done that it ain't that easy no you you think it is you think you're doing it but uh that's a good place to find out if you can or not All right uh, do we have then a- we're, we're going to take smbs uh submersible bags mm-hmm. And if you've never used a rec reel and or a finger reel, we want you to float your bag. Because at the dive meeting, you weren't there. We had some uh, interesting conversations on a dive that uh, was recent of a MUD member towards the evening. 
uh, when they surfaced from where they were doing a wreck dive, they were a quarter mile or more away from the boat. Oh. And very tired. Yeah. And the wave action was such that you could not hardly see them. Hmm. And we got into a good discussion of how many of our guys are really out there without a bag. Yeah. And it happens to be that he was out there without a bag. Most of us, that doesn't happen. Well, it was one of those lessons learned aspects. So what time of the day was it too? It was getting towards the end of the day when it was going to be dark and no light. Because that's the thing I've been thinking about is uh, in that situation, even with a bag, is maybe some uh, uncracked, uh, you know. Chem- that's, that's what or, I put in mine. I have a net bag at the top with a mirror, and that's why I have one that's not activated. Yeah, well, I'm even thinking some chem lights. You know, you got some of those in That's what I meant, the chem light. And, yeah, yep. and you, you break but, one of those open. and Yeah, so we were thinking about doing the, the hula hoop trail. Uh, then we're going to, everybody can use a, a reel, rec reel, or finger reel, and float a bag. To get a feel for it, because if you've never done it and you're carrying it, mm-hmm. duh, let's practice it. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we're going to say, buddy up and change gear. Yeah, that, that's take a off good your one. BC stuff and give it the other one, vice versa, and how about practice some, that. Uh, yeah, how about a little bit of task loading? Yeah, a see, task loading? Have you changed gear with anybody lately? <laughs> that's no, going to no, be I task don't. loading for enough people for a while, <laughs> especially if you're doing a dry shoot. How do you do that? Do you disconnect it? That um, might be an interesting item to do. Oh uh, my my dry suit! I've got. I, I desperately need to uh, change out the inflator connection on it because that one, even on the surface on land, I have a heck of a time connecting that. So, right. And the other item, we're going to give everybody three finger mitts. Oh, now uh, go down I, there and try to unhook your BC that is suddenly inflating itself. Can you yeah. un, can you undo it with heavy thick gloves on in warm water uh, us lobster divers uh you know I, I i think i think i could do that one because i i love those uh three finger mitts so much um, there's well no- the old saying is that they're saying is if you can't do that you need to put them on and wear them until you can yeah was it, uh, the items just practice with them yeah. on was Rich Sinowick was saying that uh, you should uh, like wear them around your house, do dishes and stuff with your uh, dive gloves on. So is that never done that, do? but <laughs> but about the only one we won't practice is uh, tank breathing. Oh yeah, we've done that before. I mean, years ago that was part of the drill we did is tank breathing. But yep. but if anybody's interested, we could. But personally, I think those three exercises by themselves will be something we have not done collectively on purpose and will give you a, a, a refamiliarization. Uh, so do we have a date planned for this or is it still? Uh, it'll probably be February when it's okay. be cold enough that uh, most people won't be diving, but there'll be a good time to check out your dry suit if you haven't been on a ice dive yeah. or something like that. Well, that'll be a good time. And we'll let everybody know with uh, plenty of advance. Absolutely. Here. So yep. if you're interested in doing it, if you've been listening to the podcast, and you're not a diver. Uh, you know, you can come out and get a discovered diving in and, and learn about what it's all about. Yep. I know I could use to practice myself. I mean, but, uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I need to, we need to do it on a weekend when I can do it or I'll just need to make sure I got coverage or something. Uh, cause that will be prime robotic season right about there. That's when you go, do not disturb on this date. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll block that in and tell everybody that they, they can't, uh, I shouldn't have a competition then. Uh, but now, we'll, we're going to try to get the uh, pool there at uh, St. Joe Thank High School. St. Joe, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, if we can coordinate it with the intro to school, but that'd be fine. But yep. either way, hula hoops, bags, and uh, changing gear. Were you aware that the Andrews University has, has uh, uh, built a new uh, uh, pool facility that just opened? No, I was not. Yeah, because they had an old pool uh, not too far from, you know, where the bookstore was. There's a pool next to it. Yeah, that was a deep one. That was a deep one, and that one has been has been closed. And they now have a, um, a new one on the other end of the campus, uh, which is right down the road from my, where my parents live. They can see it going up. So, Is that uh, going to have diving facilities, or is that just for uh, it, the... it's a It's a little bit smaller pool than the one that they had before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess they were a little bit uh, financial crunched. Uh, they've, but it's it's an exercise, health, wellness type center. Oh, so they've got yeah the new uh, building around the, the around the uh, roundabout off to the left. Yep, by the roundabout. It's at yeah. If if you look at uh, what used to be called University Boulevard, it's right at the end. Uh, it used to be the main entrance, but now it's a dead end road. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's that's in there. So I, I'm almost wondering if maybe that might be something that. Uh, we could get with the university and see if they've got any scuba diving ambitions. That might be another facility that we could utilize. Just a thought. Uh, let's see. Do you have anything you want to plug before we get on out of here? Did I lose you, Mac? Yeah. Where'd you go? I, I'm, I've been here all along. I was, I was asking <laughs> if I, I didn't go anywhere. What are you talking about? You went somewhere. No, who knows? I had little that, what, no, you you were totally gone. I was looking for Craig. He was on. Yeah. So uh, do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, let me see what we got here real quick. Uh, no, but the only major is the turkey dive this year. Ah, the It's going the, to be in Niles. It's not going to be in Benton Harbor. Part of the reason yeah. is... Uh, Benton Harbor is a fun place, especially if you're looking for bodies. <laughs> uh, yeah. That if you're not familiar with it, it's not a real good place for newbies. So we're going to go back to Niles. Yep. It's comfortable there. It's not as deep as it is up yep. in the St. Joe. And hopefully some of this damn rain will stop and we might have half. And, and, and we have traditionally had really good turnout when we've done a turkey dive at uh, Niles. I think we've, have, we've had Dave Toneman and his wife have shown up before. We've had uh, our friend, the archaeologist, who's that? Uh, she's over in the UK now, but she's she's shown up before. Yep. And if nothing else, we can always do a drift dive from up uh, up above the bridges all the way back yeah. down, because that was a lot of fun. A couple of weeks, well, when a couple of us did that drift dive to check the conditions. Yeah, yeah. So that, that so it's it's a good location. I haven't been. I have yet to. Boy, how shameful is this? I have not been in the river in Niles at all this year. Say what? <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've been in the, the big lake, you know, the big lakes where it's at, but I've, 
I've only done that a couple times. I think that's it. That's all my diving for this year. I, I have launched from Merrimont, but I have not dove Merrimont in two years. Wow. Because we've been busy up to the bridges. Yeah, that's true. That Merrimont, we used to do that one. Gosh, it was like every weekend for months, it seemed like. Right. That. And remember that one place I took you to? I'm not going to say where it's up down, no. but where we're finding the bottles, the nice ones that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. After this last, we haven't been there for three years now. Oh, After this God. storm, I wonder how much of that overburden was moved that we're going to find good stuff again. That That's the thing. Whenever you have a current like we've had this last year, it means it opens something up somewhere that we have been before but haven't been back to recently. So, And those two ships, the two boats out there, I kept wondering, did that storm uncover those more? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to getting back out there. Yeah. Yep. So could be. Well, the only problem we have right now with the river, though, is with all the leaves following, you've got six inches of leaves accumulated on top of all the debris. It, 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 just, it just makes it a little tougher. Uh, and, and their leaves are building every day. So, Yeah. That's when you need two river sticks and just sweep back and forth. When you hear yeah. something go clink, not break or crack. Then yeah, you know you yeah, got to then you got to stop. Yeah. yeah, don't go too fast. Yeah. Well, so I, it's the only it, item I had. Yep, and then the other thing is, if you're enjoying the show and you'd like to support us, we'd certainly appreciate it. Uh, you can head on over to scubaobsessed.com and then click on to our Patreon page. Which let me see, what's our Patreon URL? Uh, I think it should be Patreon forward slash scubaobsessed if you don't want to hit our website. Yeah, patreon.com forward slash scuba obsessed gets you to our Patreon page. $3 or more uh, donation per month will get you early access to the show notes. We certainly appreciate that, especially this time of year as we get time to sign up another year with a double to uh, handle our hosting and other sort of services. We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed on Twitter at scuba obsessed. Uh, maybe one of these days I will do something with Instagram. I've just never quite gotten that going i do have an underwater uh video camera that i need to try out so maybe we'll get that in and i'll do some instagram stuff oh and then uh, let's see what else anything we got to post uh but you know if you if you're wherever you're listening to the show if you enjoy it uh give us some reviews feedback can be sent to the show at scubaobsessed.com and then I think there, I, I need to go through. I think we did have some people who we were talking about doing some interviews with. So we'll get some of that on the docket as well. Yeah, we had one for a book review and then mm-hmm. one about, uh, well, actually two book reviews, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, authors like to talk about stuff online. I think that their, their uh, publishers are like, get out there and speak. So if you've written a book on scuba diving, uh, we'd certainly love to take a look at it and and interview you or if you know somebody should be interviewed drop us line as well but in the meantime i think we're getting to that time of the show if you're ready i'm sitting down i'm never ready okay so we'll we'll do a little warm-up one cannibal complains of the other man i'm having terrible constipation lately see i told you not to eat so many government clerks see that that one's for taurus yeah <laughs> could be a lot of truth to that and then an artist asked a gallery manager if anybody had asked about his paintings. Well, there's good news and there's bad news, said the owner. 
The good one is that the gentleman liked your work and asked if its value would appreciate after your death. When I said yes, he bought all 20 of your paintings. Well, that's fantastic, hooped the artist. What could possibly be the bad news? The gentleman was your doctor. <laughs> okay. Whoopsie. Would that be called insider trading? <laughs> yeah, I actually would be, wouldn't I? <laughs> yes. I'd be looking for a second opinion really quick. <laughs> yeah, you might not double check your prescriptions. <laughs> Arsenic, I didn't know you could get that through a pharmacy. Uh, so until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. <laughs>